My mother is from Plutonia, the dog star. Clean your room and go to... The wizard flew out of his window and over the valley above the forest near the village. We love stories! It's time for the apple seed, filled with stories for you and your family, all kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers to warm your heart and lift your spirit and give flight to your imagination. And there's a lot of all of that coming up in this next hour. I'm Sam Payne, and it's a pleasure for me to be with you here on the apple seed to bring these stories into your home and into your heart. We're going to hear from Dan Kedding today, the wonderful Chicago area storyteller, a story called The Wizard and the Girl with Golden Hair. You won't want to miss any of that story. And of course, we'll hear from Judith Black as well with a piece called Gregory's Story. It's from a collection of stories and songs of regular old family life. You'll probably see yourself or someone you love in the story of Gregory from Judith Black. To introduce you to the first story that we're going to hear today, I'm pleased to be joined in the studio by one of our assistant producers, Lacey Ivey. Lacey, it's such a pleasure to have you with me. It's good to be here. Let's talk a little bit about this Rivka Willick story, shall we? Let's do it. So this story is super fun. It's a story from her childhood. Her mom used to tell her stories all through growing up. And she tells this time of when she went to school and had a show and tell like we all probably did. Oh, boy. Yeah. And it gets a little carried away because everyone just thinks she's lying. But in her mind, it's completely the truth. And it's a fun story. Do you remember show and tell adventures from your own elementary school i do i remember i had those heely shoes with like the button that had the wheel on them oh good heavens yeah. <laughs> i yeah. remember showing those off i was so excited <laughs> i think that's about the only one i remember though <laughs> <laughs> i wanted with all my little heart when i was six years old to bring my parakeet for show and tell oh. <laughs> and it was quite a production they let me do it if i had help from my mom and it was putting the cage in the car and yeah it was uh it was big stuff in fact this story reminds me a little bit of my own show-and-tell adventures. But Rivka Willick is the storyteller, and the story is called Show and Tell. We're happy to bring it to you here on The Appleseed. When I was a kid, I loved when my mother told us stories. We all did. And our favorites were from Plutonia, the dog star. It wasn't really a star, it was just a planet, but they called it a star to make it sound better. You see, my mother was a standard poodle. She came from outer space down to Earth to spread goodwill, exchange knowledge, and when her life is just about to end, she told us she will return to standard poodle form and go back to Plutonia and share all that she has learned in her years here on Earth. Now, there were times we'd go, oh, ma, you're making this stuff up. She'd look at us and she'd say, who did I marry? And we'd say, dad. Then she'd say, and what does he do for a living? And we'd say, he's a veterinarian. And she'd say, well, there you go. Who else would a standard poodle marry? That was good enough for us. Besides, we wanted to hear the stories. Oh, there were so many of them. There was... The story about the hydrant in the square and the great bone hunt and those great war stories. You know, the Siamese War, the Persian War, and the Calico War. So many great ones. But like all things, 
it came to an end. Kind of. See, I grew up and I had to go to school. Kindergarten wasn't bad, but then first grade came. Oh, and there were things. On Tuesday, they had this tradition. It was called show and tell. You might have heard of it, huh? That's where each kid has to come. She has to, she or he, bring something from home. A toy, a ball, a doll. And then they'd march up to the front of the class when it's their turn. They'd tell everybody something about the thing. Then we'd get to ask questions. Then the kid would come back and the next kid would go up. And for their first four or five weeks, I did fine. I always remembered to bring something. I always marched right up, said my little thing, marched right back. But about the sixth week, I forgot. I forgot it was show and tell. And I was enjoying this. I didn't want to be skipped over. So when it got to be my turn, I decided to bring up a story. So I marched up to the front of the class. I turned around. And when it was my turn, I said, My mother is from Plutonia, the dog star. She's a standard poodle from outer space. It was about then that the teacher started clearing her throat. <clears throat> Excuse me, uh, do you know the difference between truth and a lie? I said, sure, of course, I'm in first grade. She said, okay, go ahead. And I said, Plutonia is not really a star. It's just a planet. They call it that to make it sound good. Anyway, it was about then that the teacher stood up. She said, I thought you knew the difference between a lie and the truth. I said, oh, sure. Yeah, I do. Anyway, on the planet, I continued, all the dogs rule. It was about that point that the teacher grabbed my wrist and began marching me down the hall to the principal's office. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to the principal's office. Looking at you right now, I bet you have. And if you've ever been to the principal's office, you know about the chair. It stands right outside. It must be manufactured in a special factory, for it is the most uncomfortable chair ever made. No matter how you sit, no matter how you position your body, it is painful, so uncomfortable, and they make you sit in it for a really long time. Finally, the principal called my name. I got up and marched in. She looked at me and she said, I heard there has been a problem in show and tell. I said, no, no problem. She said, <clears throat> would you mind telling me what you were saying, what you brought for show and tell? I said, sure. Now I knew she was focusing on this truth lie thing. So I said, my dad's a veterinarian. Always worked for us. But she just kept staring at me. She said, and? And I said, um, my mom married him. And she stared at me some more and said, and? I said, uh, okay. My mom's a standard poodle from outer space. She came down here to spread goodwill between her people and all mankind. She sent me back to the chair. And then I heard, she made sure not to close the door all the way. I heard her calling my mom. That chair got even more uncomfortable. Oh, it took so long. Finally, I heard my mother's footsteps. 
walking down the hall. When she got to the office, she didn't even look at me. She marched right over to the principal's door, knocked on it, opened it up, and said, I heard there's a problem with my daughter. The principal stood up with those kind of soft eyes and said, I'm sorry to tell you, ma'am, but your daughter is calling you a dog. My mother turned. She looked at me as though she was in shock, and she said, You didn't tell her I'm a standard poodle? I said, yeah, I did, I did, I did. And with that, the principal, I've never seen a face quite so wide-eyed and jaws dropped so quickly. She just kind of stared. My mother took me by the hand and marched me back down that hall, right out of the school, and we went out for ice cream. Isn't that a great way to end the story? I wish I could. Except things don't end like that. See, school continued. I had to go back the next day, and even worse than that, the next week they did show and tell again, and the week after that, and the week after that, and when it came up to be my turn, I just said, pass. I never even bothered to bring anything. A few more weeks passed by. I was hanging out in my dad's office. I told you, he's a veterinarian. I was in the waiting room. He walked over to me. No one was there, and he said, What's wrong? I said, oh, you know, it's Monday. He said, oh, okay. Well, you know, Monday, then Tuesday follows. And? Oh, Tuesday is show and tell. Oh, my dad smiled. He said, oh, I've heard about that. Then he got the sparkle in his eyes. And he took me by the hand. And he walked me into his laboratory. He had a real laboratory with microscopes and autoclaves. But the neatest thing was the top shelf. It was up so high, he had to stand on a stepladder to get to it. He pointed to that top shelf and he said, how about taking something from that shelf to show and tell? Oh boy, was I excited. We set it all up and he came up with a secret plan. He put it in a brown paper bag. I kept it by my bedside table at night. I fell asleep looking at it. And when Tuesday came, I was ready. I went to show and tell, totally prepared. I sat in my desk, kept that brown paper bag right there on top of my desk. And when it was my turn, I said, yes, ma'am, I have something to show and tell. I walked down the aisle, right up to her desk, I put that brown paper bag on the corner of her desk, reached inside, and pulled out a large glass jar. I triumphantly turned to the class and said, In this jar is a four-foot, eleven-inch tapeworm taken from the intestines of a horse. Then I turned to the teacher and reached back into the bag and took out a ruler. And My dad said, If you don't believe me, please take it out and measure it. I gave her the jar. I gave her the ruler. I turned around and walked back to my desk. And from that point on, I never had a problem with show and tell. (laughs) 
<laughs> Rivka Willock with a rollicking show-and-tell story. I've been listening to it, not only with you, but with Lacey Ivy as well. Lacey, does that story bring back memories of elementary school show-and-tell for you? It really does. <laughs> I mean, mine were never that crazy. <laughs> I don't think I was even that. I was one of those shy kids that just kind of sat in the back. If yeah. I ever pulled a stunt like that, I would have thought about it probably for the next forever. <laughs> <laughs> Show and tell is an interesting phenomenon, right? I mean, certainly there are kids. I was probably one of these kids who was just happy to you know, have a little a, a little opportunity to show a little something that I loved, you know. But for some kids, it was this kind of exercise in one-upmanship, you know. They would they would want to bring the coolest thing in class, and then the next kid would want to bring something cooler than that. And, and, uh, and yeah, elementary school, you know, you, you, you go into a story about show and tell, and suddenly you're remembering all kinds of elementary school memories, aren't you? It's true. I don't ever think about a lot of things until... It kind of comes to my mind by hearing stories like this, and I can just remember <laughs> all the days at recess trying to see who had the coolest Pokemon cards and trading <laughs> them for what was better than the other. Oh, right. So yeah. many weird things. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's always a pleasure to hear a story like that. It was a pleasure to listen to it with you, and, of course, that was Rivka Willick with Show and Tell. Happy to bring it to you here on The Appleseed, and there's a lot more coming up. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you today on The Appleseed. If you're just joining us, a moment ago we heard a story called Show and Tell, a story told for you by Rivka Willick. It might bring back memories for you of things that you may have been excited to show to your peers in the classroom. There's a lot coming up. You're going to hear a story called Gregory's Story from Judith Black, a story about the fear of monsters under the bed and how that fear gets dealt with in the life of one Gregory. You're going to hear also a story called The Wizard and the Girl with the Golden Hair from storyteller Dan Kedding. But first, we thought we'd bring you an entry in the Radio Family Journal. After all, we know that the sharing of memories can sometimes be the spark that ignites a story for you to share with the people that you love. And that kind of storytelling can make for memories that last a lifetime. This is a memory of mine about a piece of music beloved of my mother, the faithful shepherd sweet. And it's today's entry in the Radio Family Journal. The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it. On the Appleseed. My dad was never a guy who was super interested in Stuff. Having stuff, I mean. Except for a pretty dense collection of fine guitars, he's lived a pretty Spartan life when it comes to stuff. His cars have always been secondhand. His clothes are often from thrift stores. He's always joked that you can tell a lot about him from the fact that his clothes are from thrift stores while his guitars are from C.F. Martin. It's never really been about stuff for my dad. It's not really anti-materialism, I don't think. It's just sort of non-materialism, and that sort of karma comes back to him from time to time. One of the stories in the family canon of stories is a little tale about a time when my dad was hired to play music at a Christmas party at a big fancy house, and he did his thing and then left the party in the middle of a snowstorm. He couldn't see a thing. 
and he climbed into the old Ford Econoline van that was the family car all the time I was a kid, and he backed up the van, maneuvering to get out of the driveway, and he heard a sickening crunch, and he stopped the van and climbed out, and through the swirling snow, he could just make out what it is that he's hit. It's a brand new Corvette, one of the cars owned by one of the guests at the party. And he just put a big dent in it. Well, with his heart in his socks, he slogged back into the party, and he doesn't even know whose Corvette it is. So he had to ask around until he found the right guy, and then he swallowed and described what happened, and the guy just waved him off. He said, don't worry about it. It's just a material thing. And my dad headed back out into the snow, saved. I mean, what are the chances, right? Well, maybe it was just as well that my dad wasn't over-interested in stuff. My dad bought a nice pair of shoes once, and I drew all over them with a green marker. And it was probably good for my own well-being that he didn't care even more about those shoes than he did. The truth is, I only ever saw my dad really freak out over the loss of a thing, a material item, one time in my whole life. There was a piece of music that my mother loved. It was a suite called The Faithful Shepherd. It was written by Handel in 1712. And the story told by the music speaks of a long-ago faraway place where each year a virgin must be sacrificed to the goddess Diana. And the oracle has decreed that this punishment can only be lifted by the marriage of a specific boy and girl. And they know who the boy and girl are. So their fathers arrange a marriage between them. Super cheerful, right? I know. But it's a beautiful piece of music. And my mother loved it, especially the recording made in 1940 by Sir Thomas Beecham and the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, the album with the green cover with the black triangle on it, the one with the weird gold medal in the corner. It was the landmark recording of the Faithful Shepherd Suite, and it was old enough and tough enough to find that it was a real blessing when, by chance, playing an out-of-town gig, my dad wandered into a record store, flipped through a bin of LPs, and gasped. There it was, the green cover with the black triangle on it, the weird gold medal in the corner, the 1940 Beecham recording of the Faithful Shepherd Suite, the only copy he'd seen in years. Well, he bought it and brought it home as a gift for my mom. And, long story short, about three weeks later, he went to put that album on the record player, and the face of it was all scratched up, unplayable. None of us copped to the crime, but it had to be one of us kids, just not being careful with those vinyl records. And it's true, we sometimes weren't very careful. Sometimes we'd put a record on the turntable on top of another record. Makes me shudder now, of course, but then, well, we were kids. But that record... That record, whenever I try to imagine hopelessness and anger and sadness, I think on the day my dad put that record on the turntable after we'd wrecked it. None of us ever wanted to see our dad like that again. He wasn't violent or dangerous. It's just that we never wanted to be in the same room with so much sadness, so much disappointment. Never again, if we could help it. I know better than to believe that it was the loss of the actual vinyl object that my dad was lamenting. The object was just the vehicle for the miracle of having music in our home, having that music in our home. And the rarity of the find, that had something to do with it too, of course. I gotta say that as a grown-up in an era of eBay, I looked that album up and bought a copy for my mom for her birthday. 
These days it's not hard to find at all, and not expensive either. As it turns out, my mom didn't remember the Faithful Shepherd Suite all that well. To make it meaningful, I had to tell her the story I just told you. And you know how I feel about that. The kind of sharing of family memories, tragedies and adventures and triumphs and failures, the memories that bind us together. That, as they say, is the stuff. The Radio Family Journal of Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it, on the Appleseed. Thanks for joining me for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. There's a lot coming up. We're going to hear from Judith Black. We're going to hear from Dan Kedding, a couple of great stories, one of them called Gregory's Story about monsters under the bed, and one called The Wizard and the Girl with the Golden Hair. You won't want to miss a word of either one, but first, how about a conversation with a friend? Stories come into our lives in so many ways, from families passing them along, telling to telling, from the pages of great books, from radio and podcasts, the things we see on screen, and of course, through our relationship with terrific music. And exploring all of the ways that great stories get into our hearts and minds is part of what we love here on The Appleseed. I'm joined by Stephen Cap. Perry, host of In Good Faith on BYU Radio, and a longtime musician and music lover. Steve, it's so great to have you with us. Thank you. I'm so excited to actually talk about music. <laughs> there is a light in your eyes, I, yes. gotta, I gotta say. <laughs> and you've come with a, a favorite piece of music to talk about. And I had to decide whether to be embarrassed or not. <laughs> I've decided that's okay. So this is a song that I came across when I was 15, 16. Sure. Yeah. And just stopped me in my tracks. First of all, how many of the songs about which we can say they are are, are foundational and meaningful for us came across our paths when we were 15 or 16 oh, years old? Oh, absolutely, <laughs> because I think it was only two years before that when I had identified what I later found out is called the hook right. yes. of a song. <laughs> I kept going, oh, the, there's a cool part. Yeah. Oh, and it's coming back. You know, those, those kind of realizations. Right. Somebody else had invented a vocabulary. I just didn't know it Yeah, yet. but I've almost stolen your thunder. You were about to get to the title of the song. Oh, it's <laughs> The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Oh, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> so, Listen, just so you know who you're talking to, because when you mention a song like that, as you say, you don't know whether to celebrate with the person you're talking to or apologize to them, right? Forever that being one of your favorite songs. <laughs> but I, I got to tell you, when I was first learning to play the guitar, I drove people crazy with that song. Well, I, I, it's, it, in, it's in the door mode, right. Sam, and that's probably why. It's, it, it pulls at our heartstrings. That's right. It sure does. I did yeah. not know that when yeah. it stopped me in my tracks. So you are among friends. You okay. Are among friends. And if you hate this song, just take a minute and have compassion for one who has been subject to its spell for decades. <laughs> so it's the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. It's Gordon Lightfoot, great Canadian artist. Church bell chimed till it rang 29 times For each man on the Edmund Fitzgerald and The legend lives on from the Chippewa Down of the big lake they call Gitchagumi Superior, they said, never gets up for dead When the gales of November come early This song was written about an actual disaster. Yeah. 
But what I remember was first hearing it, first of all, the minor key, that electric guitar wailing, and yeah. then the legend lives on from the Chippewa on down. I, I was there because it was a legend and the music and all right. of this. As I have thought about this song over the years, sometimes thinking, was I just sucked in? Is this a dumb song? It's not. It's not a dumb song. It yeah. does something pretty magical, which is it has a sense of mystery yeah. and stuff you can never know. And then it combines it with newspaper headline, the plainest, driest talk there is. I mean, right. the, the the lines are like, they had 26,000 tons of ore. <laughs> I mean, there's a line from a song for right, you. Right, right. But then it mixes this with Superior never gives back her dead. Yeah. And yeah. the storm at sea. And then mundane things, like the cook going, it's a little too bumpy to feed you. <laughs> then he yeah. comes back later and says, fellas, it's been good to know you. Yeah. Absolute understatement rather than we're all going to die. The, but, and the, these these moments of understatement in this melody that is uh, that, that gets right inside you and stays. Right? Yes. And, and, and it's just by the time you've heard the song over one and over. time, you're singing along with it. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. So this was so magical to me and because at first I thought, why do I feel this way? Yeah. But I would listen to it over and over. It takes like six plus minutes. Yeah, the you, rec you almost listen to it over and over in the course it takes to hear the song <laughs> one time. <laughs> and like I was thinking today because I listened again. The wreck doesn't even happen until three minutes into the song. Most pop songs are over by now. Right, right. And then the event it's about finally happens. And yeah. then they follow up with this, you know, at the Maritime Church in Detroit ringing the bell 29 times and, yeah. and we'll never really know and, and, and all of this. So it's just this story of a big ship going down. Yeah. But I also thought it was magical because it's written because Gordon Lightfoot read an article in Newsweek hmm. within a month after the this big ship going down. Wow. It had been a terrible, like the worst November ever with yeah. the storms and all of this. And I hope he gave some royalties or at least bought a pink Cadillac for the person <laughs> who wrote the article <laughs> to say thank you because the actual article in Newsweek, which otherwise yeah. is quite factual and dry, starts off with, according to a legend of the Chippewa tribe, the lake they once called Gitchigumi, Never gives up her dad. Oh my word! It's, <laughs> and yeah. then it goes on to say approximately three hundred and so and so disasters have happened. You know, yeah. it just goes into the dry facts. But the that he took that and yeah. thought, and, and just combined the legend with what well, he was right. in songwriting mode, and certainly found the music in those in that prose. Absolutely. You know? So yeah. I I love that song because it told me that a song could be more than. Forgive me, Abba, another patron saint of the pop universe. I love you because my wife loves you. Um, SOS, da, 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 sure, or, sure. or whatever. Yeah. And, and they were they were lovely. They were bouncy. And That's you could right. repeat it again the first time you'd heard it. Yeah. But this had a depth and something yeah. that, uh, no pun intended, like superior, all that. But uh, it was magical to me. Somehow, by the time you finished listening to the song, that story lives inside of you, and you feel like... And so the moment I was asked yeah. about coming on this, I thought, oh, do I dare? <laughs> Some will hate that song. I don't care. I love it to death. <laughs> you know, song. every one of us has that song, right? The song that only reached us, you know, among all of our friends. 
the song that only reached us. But that one, of course, listen, we're in the same boat. Like I say, you're among friends here. From the opening strains, from even as the story begins to unfold, you have this sense of anticipation, this sense of mystery, you know. And then, of course, it's filled with, it fills your head with that imagination of that terrible experience for all those folks. And yeah. My word. It's fun to listen to the the genesis of it and to read just a, a line or two from the article. My word. The wreck of the Edmunds Fitzgerald and here chatting with us about it, Stephen Cap Perry. Steve, thanks so much for joining us on the Apple Seed. My pleasure. Great stories come into our lives in so many ways. Such a pleasure to chat with Steve, host of In Good Faith, produced by BYU Radio. The Appleseed is pleased to be part of that BYU Radio family, and it's a pleasure to have Steve. We'll be sure to have him back. Coming up, we've got a lot more. You're going to hear from Judith Black with a story called Gregory's Story. Up next, you won't want to miss it. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure to have you with us on today's episode of The Appleseed. And up next, we've got a story from Judith Black about a boy named Gregory. Now, Gregory faces a fear that a lot of us may have faced, the fear of monsters in your room. And that fear, of course, renders him completely unable to go to bed. Here's Judith Black with Gregory's story on The Appleseed. Gregory's Story Every evening at 8.02 p.m., Gregory's mother would come walking into his room. Gregory, look at this mess. Your clothes are all over the place. Plastic bowling pins are oh everywhere. Gregory, what is the purple and pink magic marker doing next to the riding giraffe that your grandmama got you for Christmas? Gregory, listen to what I said. Clean your room and go to bed. Oh, Mom, I couldn't possibly rest these dancing feet unless I get a snack to eat. Gregory, it is bedtime. You can have an apple. I want cake. Apple cake, apple cake, apple cake, apple cake. Oh, Gregory, I'm tired. Here's a piece of cake, a small one. Thanks, Mom. (laughs) Mm. Now, Gregory, listen to what I said, clean your room and go to bed. Oh, Mom, there's just one more thing I need, I think. That's to have a little something to drink. Oh, Gregory, it's bedtime. You can have a glass of water. How about a milkshake? How about some apple juice? How about a frap? How about some skim milk? How about a melted hot fudge sundae? They compromised. Chocolate milk. Thanks, Mom. Mm. Now, Gregory, listen to what I said. Clean your room and go to bed. Oh, Mom. There's just one more little thing I need. (laughs) That's for you, another book to read. Gregory, I have read you 8,422 books already. Oh, Mom, please, pretty please, pretty, pretty, pretty please, with sugar and honey and maple syrup on it. (gasps) All right, a short one. Long, short, long, short, long, short, long. Gregory, how about The Very Hungry Caterpillar? How about War and Peace? 
They compromised. The Berenstain Bears and no more junk food. They won the race. They ate carrot sticks. They lived happily ever after the end. Gregory, listen to what I said. Now clean your room and go to bed. Mom, do you want me to seal my very own doom? You know, while I sleep, bad guys come into my room. They do not, Gregory. They do too, Mom. They come through the doors. The doors are shut. They come through the windows. The windows are locked. They come through the toilet seat, Gregory. All right, dear. What would help you feel safe? If I brought Dad's climbing rope and my Ghostbuster popper gun and my big brother Andrew's sword to bed with me, please? Do it. Then, Gregory, listen to what I said. Clean your room and go to bed. Okay, Mom. And so... Gregory cleaned up his room. Well, he folded and shelved all of his clothes. He thought he did that. (laughs) He took all the plastic bowling pins and carefully placed them in the cardboard box. He kind of remembered doing that. And he put the lids on the purple and pink magic markers and placed them in the big pencil box. Yeah, he did that, didn't he? But what he was unequivocally, absolutely, positively sure that he did was take his dad's climbing ropes, his Ghostbuster popper gun, and his big brother Andrew's plastic sword, put them in his bed, and guess what? There was still even room for him. He climbed in, and he pulled the blankets up to his knees, up to his belly, up to his chest, up to his neck. And as we all know, as long as you are completely covered up, nothing bad can get you. He pulled those blankets up over his head. Then, in the midst of the night, when nothing is bright, and the darkness is fright, and the only symbol of might is the Mickey Mouse night light, it was then that Gregory heard a sound. Hey, bad guy army guys, let's make a mess. Well, Gregory didn't want to pull his head out from the blanket or the sheet, and so he found a small hole in the sheet. He lined it up with a small hole in the blanket. He looked out. There they were, bad guy army guys, and they were taking all his clothes that he had so neatly put away and putting them all over the middle of the floor. Gregory thought quick. He grabbed his father's climbing rope. He inched it out of the hole in the sheet and the hole in the blanket until he was able to make a huge lasso on the floor. He waited carefully until the bad guys all were in the very middle of the lasso, and then he counted one, two, three, and he tightened it. Ah! Bye-bye, bad guys. But was there time to celebrate? No, because Gregory heard his closet door. And out emerged a huge, white, pillowy figure. And reaching over into the cardboard box, the ghost pulled out the bowling pins and tossed them into the bunk bed, 
into the bookshelf, into the closet, into the... Oh, no. Gregory got the styrofoam pellet from his Ghostbuster popper gun. He put it in the front of the gun. He had to slightly enlarge the hole in the sheet and the blanket. His mother wouldn't be happy, but a ghost was a ghost. He plunged the front of the Ghostbuster popper gun through the enlarged hole. He aimed it at the ghost, and when he counts to three... One. Bye-bye, ghosty. But was there time to feel good? No, because there was one last sound in Gregory's room. It was a magic marker breathing dragon. It was breathing purple and pink magic marker all over the writing giraffe that his grandmama had given him for Christmas. Oh, no! He got his big brother Andrew's plastic sword. He pushed it through the now enlarged hole in the sheet in the blanket. Now, as we all know, the only way you can kill a dragon is to press a sword through its heart. And so Gregory waited as the sword stood through the enlarged hole in the sheet in the blanket until the dragon got close enough. Count to three and the dragon will be close enough. One, two, three. Ugh. Yuck. What a mess. He cleaned off the side of the plastic sword. Bye-bye, dragoon. And putting his head back on his pillow, securing the sheets and the blankets even more tightly around his head, Gregory went back to bed. Well, the next morning, everybody was up. Well, everybody except Gregory. Dad was downstairs cooking breakfast. Grandma was puttering around. Big brother Andrew was sitting at the kitchen table doing the homework he should have done the night before. And Mom was in the bathroom getting ready for work. It's from there, she yelled out. Gregory, listen to what I said. Get yourself dressed and out of bed. Oh, Mom, I couldn't possibly wake up these sleeping feet. Unless for breakfast. Cake we eat. Gregory, I got a lot more energy to argue in the morning, young man. In this house, it is granola and skim milk. Now, Gregory, listen to what I said. Get yourself dressed and out of bed. Oh, Mom, I couldn't wake up yet, I don't think. Unless for breakfast, frap we drink. Gregory! It's apple juice in the morning. Now, Gregory, listen to what I said. Get yourself dressed and out of bed. Oh, Mom. No, 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 no. Couldn't possibly wake up unless I can watch a TV show. Well, Gregory's mother marched out from the bathroom and into his room. Gregory, you know there is no TV in this house on school morn. <gasps> Gregory, look at your room. There are clothes all over the floor. Look at this. The plastic bowling pins are all over the place. <gasps> oh, Gregory, there is purple and pink. 
pink magic marker all over the riding giraffe that your grandmama got you for Mom, Mom, you don't understand. In the middle of the night, bad guy army guys came, and it's really good that I had my dad's robe, and, and I was able to lasso them, or they might have gotten me, and ghosts came, and the ghosts threw the plastic bowling pins all over, and it's good I had my Ghostbuster popper gun that Mom. And, and Mom, you know, the magic marker breathing dragon did that, and it's really good that, that I, I I had my big brother Andrew Swords, and it might have been magic marker. And Mom, Mom, wouldn't you rather have my room be just a little bit messy than your own darling, adorable, lovable little boy be a piece of dead meat? Ugh. Gregory, I would rather have you than a piece of blah, dead meat. And I guess kids with imaginations will never be neat. So come on, let's clean up together and go down and eat. Cake and flap? Granola with skim milk and apple juice. And that is what they had. Gregory's story shared with you by Judith Black. A pleasure to bring that tale to you here on The Appleseed. And up next, a story from the Chicago area storyteller Dan Kedding, who began learning stories from his Croatian grandmother and has since grown to sharing tales from all over the world and even from his own life. And this story is called The Wizard and the Girl with Golden Hair. It's from a collection called Wisdom and Wayfaring. Here's Dan Kedding on The Appleseed. Long ago, there lived a wizard, an evil man who lived in a huge castle filled with the greatest treasures he could find. Surrounding his mountain fortress were beautiful gardens filled with flowers that bloomed year-round through his magic. Scattered through the gardens were statues of beautiful young women, so perfect, so lifelike, it seemed that they might turn and talk to you as you passed by. Indeed, it was sad, for each of these statues had once been a living maiden, that the wizard had turned into a statue to fill his garden with beauty. One day as he walked through his garden and looked at his living art, he thought there were girls with red hair and black hair, brown hair and auburn hair, but there were no girls with golden hair. The wizard decided he needed a young woman with hair like gold. He went to his room and dressed himself as a fine nobleman. He put honey on his lips to make his voice sweet and washed his cruel face with the morning dew to hide his wickedness. Lastly, he put on his cloak, a cloak that gave him the power to fly and to trap the maidens he needed. If he saw a maiden that he wanted for his garden, he would spread his cloak on the ground before her or trail an end near her foot. As she stepped on the cloak, it would wrap around her and carry her off with the wizard. But she had to step on it willingly. He could not force her. The wizard flew out of his window and over the valley and above the forest near the village. There he saw Elsa, a girl from the village, who was walking on the forest path picking berries. Her golden hair sparkled in the sunlight and for an instant seemed to almost blind the magician. He hid behind a tree near a muddy portion of the path and when Elsa came into view, he stepped from behind the tree, spreading his cloak over the mud and said, Lovely maiden, do not step on this rough muddy ground. Your feet are too dainty. Elsa laughed and shook her head. I am not lovely and I am not dainty and you, sir, are a fool who just got mud all over his cloak. She stepped around the cloak and kept walking. The wizard was furious and decided to follow her. As he neared the bend in the path, 
he saw a herd of goats and decided to anger one of them and have the goat attack her. She would run to him for protection and then surely step on a corner of his cloak. He spoke the magic words that would bring a swarm of bees to bother one of the goats, and the goat shook off the bees, and it saw Elsa and ran towards her. The wizard ran forward, his cloak spread wide, yelling, I will protect you. Elsa ignored him and ran to a tree, and around and around and around she ran, chased by the goat. When Elsa stumbled, he threw his cloak down, but she twisted and turned, and instead of Elsa, the goat stepped on the cloak and, panicking, ripped it with its horns. The wizard knocked the goat out with a blow from his fist. The cloak fell free, but a long tear marred its beauty. Oh, your beautiful cloak is torn just because you tried to save me. Let me mend it. She went to a thorn bush and picked a thorn. With another, she made a small hole at the base of the first thorn, and pulling on her long golden hair, she took several strands and rolled them together to make a thread. Sitting on the ground, she took the cloak and artfully stitched the tear. Handing it back, she said, This should do till you can get it properly mended. The wizard saw his chance. Letting the cloak trail on the ground in front of him, he said, Look, you dropped a stitch here. When Elsa came closer to look, she stepped on the edge of the cloak. Suddenly, it wrapped around her, and she and the wizard began to rise through the trees. She saw the evil in his eyes and the cruelty in his smile. But then they stopped. The stitches that she had sewed into the cloak were caught on a branch and were holding them tight. The wizard pulled and tugged, but he couldn't loosen the hold of the tree from the cloak. He reached down to use both hands, but when he did, Elsa fell from his grasp. As soon as she touched the forest path, she ran as fast as she could all the way home. The wizard tore the cloak loose and flew back to his castle. He was in a bad mood. He threw his dinner at the servants. He threw his cup across the room and broke his favorite mirror. He glared at all his dogs and cats till they crept away to hide from his rage. When he retired for the night, he lay down on his bed, but he couldn't fall asleep. The room was filled with a bright light, so bright it hurt his eyes. Full moon, he thought. But when he rose to close the drapes, he saw that the night was cloudy and the moon and the stars were hidden. He then realized that the light was coming from inside the room. The stitches that Elsa had made from her hair were shining brightly against the dark cloak, so brilliantly that it was painful. He took the cloak and wrapped the stitches on the inside, but before he got to his bed, the light had appeared once more. That arrogant girl in her golden hair, he shouted. He ran down the stairs, cloak in hand, and threw it into the deepest dungeon. But by the time he had climbed back to his room, the cloak was there, and the light shone even brighter, this time filling the whole castle. The wizard didn't sleep a minute that night. The next night, when the light appeared, again filling his castle, he took a knife and tore the patched section of his cloak out and threw it out the window. That will do it fine, he cried. But before he could close his eyes, the stitches were back in the cloak, and the light once again filled his room. He didn't sleep that night, nor the next, nor the next, and he realized that he had no power to get rid of Elsa's golden hair. He put on his cloak and flew to the village, where he found Elsa's house. He tapped lightly on the window and called out, Sweet girl, tender lady, please come to the window and open it for me. 
Elsa recognized his voice and said, Go away and leave me alone. My mother told me all about men like you. No, please, I just want you to take the stitches out of my cloak. That's all. I'll give you a bag of gold. I don't want a bag of gold. I'll give you a huge farm with a big house and servants. I don't want a farm with a big house and servants. I'll give you a prince for your husband. I don't want a husband. Now go away. The wizard lost control. Get over here, you little wretch, and take these stitches out. I won't, and you can't make me. You'll be sorry. The wizard flew back to his castle. That night the light was even brighter. By this time the servants had all run away, as had the dogs and the cats and even the rats that lived in the dungeon. He was all alone. The next day he walked through his gardens, where his statues were his only company. That silly girl doesn't realize how powerful I am. He looked up at one of his statues with its sad expression, and he had an idea. He turned the statue back into a girl and ordered her to go down to the village and find Elsa and tell her what a powerful magician he really was. As he watched her run down the path, he said, That will be the end of it. Now she'll know who she's dealing with. That night, the light dimmed just long enough for him to sleep for an hour or so. The next day, he flew to Elsa's window. Elsa, are you there? Open this window at once. Who's there? she called out sweetly. You know perfectly well who's here. Did you get a visitor yesterday? Now you know what a powerful wizard I am. Elsa's voice was low and just a little bit threatening. And did you sleep a little last night? The wizard was taken aback. Yes, I did. How did you find out? Now you know what a powerful witch I am. And now you know what you have to do in order to sleep the night through again, don't you? The wizard almost whispered, Yes, I do. Then do it, ordered Elsa. The wizard flew back to his castle and released all the young women who had been turned into statues for his gardens. When the last one ran down the path towards her home, the wizard was finally able to sleep. But the golden stitches from Elsa's hair always had a faint glow around them to remind him of his fate if he ever used his evil powers again. Dan Ketting with The Wizard and the Girl with Golden Hair. A pleasure to bring that tale to you today. And we're going to wrap up with a tale of mine. This one is about me and about my brothers, about imagination and memory and adventure. It's called Pirate Field. Happy to bring it to you today on The Appleseed. When I was a kid, and maybe when you were too, my brother Joe and I pretended to be all sorts of heroic-sized things we weren't, really, or might only be somewhere down in our minds. For my brother's fifth birthday, my dad cut out two Gibson electric guitar shapes out of plywood with a neighbor's jigsaw. No strings or anything, but it was just what the imagination needed for two brothers to become a rock and roll band for a season. It was a season of playing air guitar in the living room to our favorite records, which back then were LPs of Sterling Holloway telling the stories of Peter and the Wolf and Sorcerer's Apprentice. We had a thing or two to learn about rock and roll, but our imaginations, like yours, could neither be stopped nor matched. Later on, post-rock band, we found a bunch of abandoned doors out next to the shed in the backyard, and we dragged them into the field next to our house 
and built a hideout entirely out of doors leaned up against each other to make walls and a roof. We formed a club out there called the Red Devils, and we drew a big grinning red devil on the front of our clubhouse in crayon. Mom and Dad, God-fearing both of them, got concerned and read to us from the Bible about what a rascal the devil is. So we went out to the clubhouse with more crayons and drew a ruffled shirt and a big hat on the devil and drew a hook on one of his hands and called ourselves the Pirates. We cut little skulls and crossbones out of pale yellow felt and made my mom sew the skull and crossbones onto the inside of our jacket collars. So when a guy came up to you on the playground who might be a member of the Pirate Club, you could flash him your skull and crossbones from the inside of your jacket collar, and he could flash you his. And that way, you could see if the other guy really was a member of the club, or maybe only a guy who just looked like my brother. The field where we built our pirate clubhouse was all covered in waist-high grass. In the spring, the grass was green and supple, and we would crawl around on our bellies, smashing the grass down into long and twisting paths. Sometimes, if we had time, we would make a path and then bend the tall grass from either side of the path over the top of us and use one long blade as a piece of twine to tie the grass into a sort of tunnel that we could crawl through. Once or twice crawling through the grass, I had to stop for a long snake in my path. Snakes had the right of way, of course. Our network of paths could get us anywhere in the field without anyone ever having to be seen. A secret pirate transportation network. In our imaginary world, the pirates were heroes, swashbucklers for justice, saving guys from their sinking ships, or finding the lost loot and turning it into the cops for a reward. Now come to think of it, the rock band guys were heroes too, musicians for world happiness and brotherhood and general awesomeness. We were not in real life very heroic and didn't demand heroism of each other. Heroism, as far as we knew, was a word that only existed in the imaginary world. None of the kids we knew were heroic like the things we pretended to be. Not even any of the grown-ups were. Real life grown-ups were mostly like my mom and dad, pretty regular. But then, one day, the pirate field caught fire. It was late in the summer when the waist-high grass was yellow and stiff. I came home from school to see the smoke behind my house and ran back there to see flames whipping through the field, whipping over our pirate fort. Some neighbor kids had lit a sparkler back there. How could they have been so foolish? They were just little kids and they were standing on the edge of their own lawns now, safely watching in terror as the field burned. My folks weren't home. I didn't know what to do, but the terror was choking me. I'd seen old western films where the hero slaps at the flames of the fire in the barn with an old blanket. And I ran into the house and pulled the blanket from my bed. And out I ran, a tiny little kid, slapping away at the flames at the edges of a fire that seemed as big as the whole world. It wasn't long before the fire trucks came. Somebody called them. Guys in their heavy yellow fire suits and helmets and their big boots poured out of the big red truck. And they turned on their big hoses and shouted things to each other. And while it was a battle for a few minutes, it wasn't long before the fire stopped being terrifying and then stopped being anything at all but a charred, black, swampy mess. 
Our fort hadn't stood up to the hoses very well, and the old doors that made up its walls and roof were strewn about the field where they'd been tossed by the hoses, singed. It was the end of the pirates. The end of our jacket-collar pirate tokens. The end of our clubhouse made of doors. But it was also the end of our notions that heroes existed only in the imaginary world. The real-life firefighters, all smelling of smoke and sweating under their gear in the July heat, packed up their truck and waved as they pulled away from the field. Real heroes, those guys. Off to clean up and do more real heroing. And me, standing at the edge of the field, sweating, covered in soot, holding the blanket from my bed, my arms tired from beating away at a flame, bigger than me, bigger than my dad. I wasn't a hero, not yet, maybe not ever, but in a real world full of real dangers and real people ready to meet them. Who knew? Thanks for joining me for that story called Pirate Field. I'm Sam Payne. Our producer is Jeff Simpson. And of course, we can't wait to be with you again on The Apple Scene. Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.